0: Well, good morning. You are the hardy <clears throat> ones or brave ones or something. You made it today, and it's uh, great that we have a chance to gather together in God's house and uh, worship and pray and be instructed in His Word. I uh, ran across an article this week. It was uh, a, a description, some observations that were made about reality as it is portrayed on television where for instance every uh, bag of groceries contains one loaf of french bread and uh, every bomb has a little red digital readout telling you exactly how long you have before it blows up. Where every building has a ventilation system that you can climb through and every window in every home and building in New York can see the Statue of Liberty. Uh, in, in TV reality, uh, men can stoically withstand savage beatings at the hand of other men, but will wince when uh, a woman tries to later clean their wounds. And uh, in reality, as portrayed on TV, If you ever find yourself in a martial arts fight, it doesn't matter what the numbers are because uh, people will dance uh, around you until it's their turn to fight one at a time (laughs) and not gang up on you. Perhaps we can agree that um, reality is a little bit different than it is often portrayed. Reality has uh, significantly uh, less excitement. Uh, less action. It's been, for instance, weeks since my last martial arts fight, and I've yet to defuse a bomb in 2012. Reality is different, not quite as exciting, but filled with just as much conflict and disagreement and tension between people as is displayed in TV. There's a lot of conflict out there, and uh, in fact, we are seeing conflict in here. As we come to the fourth chapter of Philippians, it is uh, apparent that one of the reasons that Paul has found it necessary to write to his friends there is because there is a church fight that is going on. There are two women who are not getting along. We don't know what the issue is or was. It's uh, it's very unlikely that it was doctrinal in nature, because the apostle Paul generally had strong opinions and would weigh in on those. But it, it is uh, likely that they're fighting over something else, and that people are beginning to take sides. Paul is eight hundred miles away in a prison, and that. Back then, 800 miles would represent probably a month of travel, and so uh, it's been a while getting to Paul, but it is spreading. Story of this disagreement and rumor is spreading, and so Paul decides that it's important for him to weigh in. And he has some interesting um, counsel to offer them. Before we get there, I, I want to just remind you of some of the observations that we could make from uh, the entire Bible about conflict. Talked about some of these things before. For starters, conflict is inevitable. It's a given. We live in a a world that is broken. Uh, You are broken. I am broken. Sin has infected and affected everything, everywhere. And as a result, there is disagreement. And, and it's not simply that given enough time, two people, even two people who love each other and care for each other dearly, are going to find things to disagree over. It's also that we actually have an enemy, right? there, are, there are spiritual forces in cosmic dimensions that have lined up against God. Now, some of you don't quite know what to do with all of that, but it is what Jesus taught and we know that his life was filled with conflict. And the lives of those who followed him were filled with conflict. The apostles can barely go a few days without some sort of dust up with somebody. The apostle Paul says that daily he is debating in the marketplace with others. And we know from chapter 3 that he has an ongoing feud with the Judaizers, those who People who are trying to suggest that in order for a Gentile to become a follower of Christ, they have to to act like a Jew. They have to embrace Jewish culture and, and Old Testament law and keep it in addition to Christ. So, conflict is inevitable. Especially if you are in a position of leadership. Even spiritual leadership. This surprises some people, disappoints others. But, but conflict is a given. There are things worth fighting for. There are things worth dying for. This world is broken. As a result, conflict is inevitable. The second point that we could make, sort of holistically, is that it's not always bad, right? it can often be unpleasant. Serious conflict can be very uh, frustrating and disappointing. But it's not always bad. It depends upon what people are fighting over, it depends upon who is fighting, and it depends upon how people are fighting. But, third general point, we are expected to get along with each other. Those people who have been adopted into the family of God, those people who have declared their allegiance to Christ, those people who have been reconciled to the Father... We are expected to get along with each other. In following Christ, it is expected that we're going to put the needs of other people ahead of our own. In following Christ, it's expected that we're going to do unto others what we would want them to do unto us. And we're going to do what needs to be done in order to stay together. We are expected to be united. And and these expectations flow out of several things. For starters, they flow out of the fact that our unity is important to God. In John 17, when we get to eavesdrop in on the prayer uh, between the, the, the Father and the Son, the high priestly prayer of Christ, four times he prays, Father, make them one just as we are one. So the the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, he's using that to say, make them one, unite them just as we are united. In John 13, Jesus says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you're bringing an offering uh, to the temple and you discover when you get there, as you're at the altar, that you, you remember that you are sideways with one of your brothers or sisters, stop, go back, and reconcile. Right? The unity of the church is enormously important to God. It's not that we are to create a unity. It is to, that we are to recognize the unity that we have in Christ. And to safeguard and protect that. And and a second reason that we're to do this is because we have a mission. And teams that are not united are far less effective than teams that are. As uh, some of you no doubt know, there is a little football game next weekend. And hundreds and thousands of hours of analysis will take place. Many articles will be written between now and then. Looking for every little nuance of dynamics that are going on on the, the the Giants organization and that of the Patriots. I promise you, if word gets out that there is tension between the the Giants amongst themselves, or tensions between the coaches, or tensions between the coaches and the players, that that the that the odds makers in Vegas will change the spread. Right, if they hear that one team has internal conflict going on this week because teams that are divided are not going to be very effective. So, conflict is a given, not necessarily bad, can be, depends upon who it's between, what it's over, and how it's being managed But you and I are expected to get along with each other. This is important to God, and it's important for our own effectiveness. In light of that, I direct your attention to Philippians chapter 4. We pick up now. I am going to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and I plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 2, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. I've often wondered... uh, Just how uh, frustrating and disappointing it was to Yodia and Sintiki to be called out like this in this letter. You can imagine, word gets out. Paul has sent a letter. We, we've heard from Paul, people don't know, is he dead or alive, what's he going to say? They, they rush together, somebody takes out the letter and reads through it, and they get to this spot, and, and these two women are singled out, and they had to just go, oh, I can't believe he's heard about this. How frustrating, right? And had someone been able to say to them, you know, by the way, um, This letter is uh, likely going to make it into the new edition of the Holy Scriptures, which will be a bestseller, Uh, several billion copies, and some people will read it, you know, a hundred times, so it's likely that three, four hundred billion times people will read about this, and 99.99% of the time, the only thing they will know about you is that you couldn't get along with each other. I mean, their lives have been reduced. It happens, right? What do we know about Benedict Arnold? He's a traitor. What do you know about Billy Buckner? He let the ground ball go through his legs in the World Series. What will we remember about this Italian ship captain who just, you know, had this ship... go? One thing, right? I mean, their, their lives, our lives are often reduced down to a moment. And that's what people think about. These women... Have have been friends of Paul. They're partakers in the work. Their, Their names are in the book of life. There's a lot of things that you can say about them that are good, but what we have here is that they are not getting along, and that is called out. So Paul is addressing them. And what exactly is it that he says? Well, if we weren't looking here first, and I were to just ask you, there are two women that are not getting along, or two men, or a husband and a wife, any any combination. There's some people not getting along. Do you have advice for them? My guess is is that you could you could come up with some good practical counsel. I mean. It, seems to me like every fifth magazine I pick up has got an article about how to fight fair right rules for engagement how to how to manage conflict right and so you would be able to say, well uh, you should uh, go directly to the person and you should go in a timely way and you should listen first and use eye language and all this stuff that you know we're repeated over and over counsel about how to how to get along and I do not want to suggest that those things are bad or we should make light of them. For starters, I had to learn all of them uh, after we got married. And uh, I I did not bring good conflict management skills into our marriage. And uh, my approach uh, was basically to just avoid it and to ignore it. And to give in if there was conflict. To just concede, which I thought was the Christian and mature approach. And it was driving Sherry crazy. And, and some friends interceded for us and pointed us to a marriage counselor. And we had a meeting with the counselor. And at the end, she goes, well, clearly we, we're going to need to meet a, a second time before the three of us meet. Mike, I'd like to just meet with you. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking she's going to say to me, you are, a, uh, you are a paragon of virtue, and your skills are wise, and I'm on your side completely, and, and let's, let's try and help Sherry see things your way, and I just want you to know that's what I'll be doing in these sessions. And uh, it's not exactly what she said. And I don't believe she used exactly these words, but this was what I took away, was that I was driving her crazy also. (laughs) And so I had to learn how to manage conflict, how to stay in uh, the, the, the conflict and work it out and what the tools were. And these tools, these methods that I have listed are found in Scripture, Okay, again, they, they work and they're good. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, right? Go in a timely way to deal with it. And in James 1, we're told, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, right? Listen first, don't panic. Matthew 18, Jesus gives us counsel when we're not getting along with someone, go directly to them. If you can't work it out, bring in a third party to help. Yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with these methods. It is, they, they, are, they are appropriate methods and tools. But Paul doesn't go there. He does something very different. He appeals to a big idea, to an overarching truth, and you're forgiven if you have not spotted it because it's not in the passage that I read. The first word in a passage that I read is Therefore. And that is code for back up. We're joining an argument in midstream. So we back up, and I want to begin reading now in verse 17 of chapter 3. So Paul's writing, "...join together and following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model..." Keep your eyes on those who live as we do, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, I appeal to you, two women, to get along. Therefore, we have to think differently about everything. We're going to live forever and forever changes everything. Paul is, is, is pointing out to them that they are looking down when they should be looking up, that they're not shining their headlights far enough out into the future to, to, to be changed by the overwhelming truth that, that Christ has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us, and he will call us there, and there will be perfect. There will be no sin. God's will will be done. Everything will work. We won't be broken, right? There will work, and there will be forever. And in light of that promise, in light of that gift, right, we're supposed to live differently today, and we're supposed to think about different things, and we're supposed to care about different things These women are clearly, at this point, focusing on things that matter in light of this life. Not in light of their citizenship in heaven. It is a big idea. It is a big truth. Not a method that Paul appeals to. Because that truth should change everything. That promise should mean that we think and behave differently as i've said before if if you are in faith for this life you're making a big mistake christianity does not work short term going to the end of the line putting the needs of others ahead of your own serving other people that may help you get along with some people for a while, but you actually lose in the end. That's what Paul says. If the tomb wasn't empty, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, if we're not going to live forever, then this is a joke. And the joke is on us, and we should be pitied. We're wasting our life. It's only in light of the big picture that it makes sense to have a radically different approach because we're now here on a mission. We have an opportunity in this life to influence the next one. And we're to use this life, the gifts and abilities that we have been given, the opportunities that are ours, we're to use those in light of forever. In, uh, in his book, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis you know, has a series of obviously fictional letters written by a senior demon named Screwtape. They're being written to a his nephew who is new to the business of being a demon and tempting people and trying to keep people from coming to faith and trying to keep Christians from being effective once they have come to faith. And so Screwtape is writing to uh, Wormwood, his nephew, and he says, once you have made the world an end and faith a means. okay. So once you've got your client, your charge, thinking about this life, right? And they're loving God and serving others in light of the return in this life. Once you've done that, you have almost won your man. And it will make little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. Because, Because eternity changes everything. And we're to live and think differently in light of forever it's not a method it's just a big idea i promise you if there is tension back to our football teams if there is tension right now between players on the patriots or plants on the giants or during the game right if, if if players are yelling at each other on the sidelines or i guess perhaps even in the huddle i promise you the other players are not going to say you know, it's good that you're talking to each other directly and doing this in a timely manner, but what you ought to do is use eye language and listen first. No, they're going to grab these guys by the face mask and they're going to say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How can you be so misled? We're trying to win a game here. What you're fighting over doesn't matter. You cannot actually be doing this. You cannot be wasting this opportunity. Figure out what matters and figure out what doesn't and, and live accordingly. And that's the message to us. Right? Some things matter and a lot of stuff doesn't. And you just can't, you just can't worry about it. You can't let it consume you. We have a mission. We have a responsibility to proclaim the good news of Christ and to and to try and embrace the values of heaven and live them out right here and loving and serving other people. We've been told to do that and and we're supposed to be about that. And my personal experience is that When I'm doing that, a lot of things don't bother me, but when I'm not doing that, then there's a lot of things that I get pulled into that I shouldn't. Years ago, just a few years into ministry, college campus, I'm on staff at a church. The church is very close to the campus, so we've got hundreds and hundreds of college students that are coming. Um, which is great. The, the, the location is ideal. The, the building is old. And as the college ministry grew and we added staff, and as the church grew and we added staff and programs, we ended up with, we were just out of space. So we're using broom closets for offices, the boiler room. We got people meeting everywhere. And and the offices for about five of the college ministry staff are off of a balcony. And there's this, there's a sort of a lobby up there, and a closet which we've turned into an office, and another room which is an office. We come up one Monday morning, and um, it's it's been taken over by a, a girls' grade school or maybe middle school Sunday school class, and they've they have decorated it appropriately. So there's Pink ponies and boy band posters and and yellow rugs and and we just look around and we say, well no, no no this is not happening. We're here six days a week. This cannot. We're not gonna. We're not gonna live in among boy band posters and pink ponies. This is so we took it all down and we sort of shoved it behind some uh, some chairs. And the next week we came back and there was more. Everything that we had had taken down was back up and more was up. And so we took it down and and the the woman that was teaching the class and I sort of had a little altercation. And then I uh, I left to go on a mission trip. We were in uh, South Central LA, Watts area of LA, working out of a church. And so we're 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 feeding the homeless. We are we are handing out clothes. We we got students tutoring kids in after school programs. We're down on Skid Row sharing the gospel. We're doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, absolutely uh, wonderful six days front line ministry. Come back up. I open up the you know, walk into this room again. See all the pink ponies and and I'm just like uh we gave them a, 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 an extra week to sort of refortify, and now they've got even more of this stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm mad, and I'm getting ready to take it down. And then I think, why, why, why would I do this? Why, why would, why would I worry about this? Why would I use the limited energy I have to make a difference in the world, fighting with this with a Sunday school teacher who's just trying to do what is clearly in their best interest. This doesn't matter. Why would I care? Why would I let this bother me? I'm not going to be the kind of person that is bothered by this. My experience is that to the extent that we are engaged in what we've been called to be engaged in, we don't worry about a whole lot of other stuff. And when we're worrying about a whole lot of other stuff, It's because we're not living in light of eternity and we're not focused on the things that matter. Paul has other advice in here. We're going to come back to this uh, chapter again and and unpack more of this. But I would just set in front of you the, the charge or the observation that you and I have been called to be a little advance party of heaven, right? to, to embrace the values of Christ, to live as he lived, and, and that certainly includes getting along with each other. I would appeal to you now, and I'm thankful that there's no conflicts. I mean, there's always conflicts. There's no big conflict going on in the church. We're not coming to this passage for that reason but i would appeal to you uh now and in the future don't ever be party to things that are are going to divide a church over secondary issues we can find things to fight about all day long some of them are very good things to fight about that's not the, that's not the challenge the challenge is staying together right that's what we are to work at do not get sucked into these things that, that sidetrack us from our task instead invest your life in what matters live today as if what you do today will influence your entire eternity because it will our Our destiny is is not something we earn. It's not tied up by how good we are or how many times we feed the homeless or share the gospel. No, we don't earn this. This is this is all by grace. It's a gift. But Christ tells us that there are different degrees of reward, right? That we're to store up treasure in heaven. Where where it cannot be destroyed. We're encouraged to invest our life in what will pay eternal dividends. And so I would say to you hey, let's be about the work we've been called to be about proclaiming the good news, sharing the faith of Christ, and loving and serving other people. Let's live today. In light of the fact that we're going to live forever. We were created to live forever. And in Christ we're promised heaven. We're not looking for the return on our labor here. That's not the way it works. But we have been promised eternity. Let me pray for us. Lord God Almighty, we... um, Pause to thank you again for your, your grace, your love, the unbelievable example of Christ, for your protection on the church. Pause to confess that it is very easy for us to get sidetracked, consumed by things that don't matter, and to not be as invested in those things that do. Help us. To really lean further into this call to be the advance party of heaven. And to bring through our lives, through our words, through our actions, our service. The, the, the kingdom of God to the extent that we can to help that grow here today. Guide and direct us. Keep us unified, Father. May we steer clear of the of the many different ways we can be sidetracked. Live today in light of forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.